What is up, everybody? You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org, and I'm your host, Dave Stovall. Today's episode features Dave Buring and Grant Edwards of Lionshare, giving a track session about the difference of discipling people into knowledge versus discipling people into obedience. Dave always has great stuff to share anytime he talks, and I was actually intrigued by what Grant had to offer after the break about new disciples the methods he uses to intensely disciple them for the first three months and then get them plugged into small groups so that they don't fall away. Really great stuff here in this episode. All right, how about I stop talking about it and let you listen to it? Here we go. This is Dave Buring and Grant Edwards of Lionshare. Enjoy the episode. Just before we start, can I just ask where you all are from? So just kind of shout out like states where you're from. Tennessee, Texas, Ohio, Ohio. Wow. Georgia, Florida, Kentucky, Indiana, Virginia, Virginia. Alabama said it twice. I get it. Auburn, Alabama. You got to say it twice so there's no division. <laughs> well, how many of you is this your first time at the forum? Nice. Very good. That's about eighty percent of you. That's awesome. Um, I had the privilege of being a part of our uh, first gathering in January of 15. Bobby brought uh, about 10 of us together, and we spent two days together just kind of getting to know each other and hanging and laughing and eating and praying. And, but one of the things Bobby had asked us to do is he said, I want you guys to all be thinking about what is the number one hindrance to disciple making in our nation? So and we had like a two-month head start, right? So we get together, and Bobby finally puts the three-foot-by-two-foot stickies on the wall. If you, ha- if you don't know Bill Hull, Bill is you know, probably the most prolific writer on disciple-making around. You'll see him around here. He's uh, about six-foot-eight and in his 70s. There's not many six-foot-eight, 70-somethings walking around, so he's big, tall, and thin. And Bill, Bill leads off by saying, I think the number one problem is we're trying to disciple people who aren't even saved. In other words, like in our churches, they come to our church, but because the Spirit of God isn't in them, transformation can't happen, right? So it all began with that. So we're all like, wow, that's really good, you know, writing stuff down. <laughs> and uh, so we all con- contribute. And in the end, Bobby says, okay, so kind of lay aside what you said, and let's try to come to a consensus of what are we saying. And so we wrestled that through for quite some time. And in the end, it was this. The number one hindrance to disciple-making in our nation is senior pastors. And many of us had served in that role, so we understood it. And it was not, you know, uh, said with accusation, it was with compassion. Because we realized, and and I don't know if you know this or not, and you'll probably hear these statistics during the couple days, but 80 to 90% of current senior pastors serving in our country right now have never been discipled. And so when they talk about discipleship or hear about it, it kind of gets, you know, like the quarterback pitching the ball to the education department, you know, or to children's ministry or youth ministry or men's ministry or women's ministry, rather than realizing what, you know, Jim Putman just said today, it begins with us making disciples. And that begins to set the tone. It's what Jesus did, right? Uh, one of the things I like to, to just play with is it's called the Great Commission. I like to spell it C-O-Mission. Like it's the Great Commission. Jesus invited us to do it with him. And, and again, it's not the Great Suggestion, right? It's the Great Commission. 
And so when this began uh, in 2016, we just began to, to say, okay, let's invite senior pastors and their teams. And so we would have senior pastors and their staff or their elders or, you know, whoever they wanted to bring. Plus then y'all come. So if anybody said, hey, I'm interested in disciple. Yeah, just come, you know. So you'll probably find here, and, and this is Dave's perspective, so I could be out totally out to lunch. But it, it's about two-thirds of the people that are here are pastors that have come with teams. And a third are people that are, have come on their own or maybe as a couple and said, hey, we want to keep learning disciple-making. And I trust that you'll really enjoy this experience. You have a good mixture of, you know, the main sessions like we just had. And I forget the number. There was 78 or 80 of these going on. And I've got to tell you that they're all really, really good. So you're missing out on a bunch of them, all right, because you only get to pick four. So the good news is uh, over the year, discipleship.org will send these out as podcasts. So kind of over the span of the year, you'll get to hear a lot of these different workshops, okay? So my name is Dave Beering, and I have the privilege of giving leadership to Lionshare. We have several of our Lionshare team in here today, and um, we're an organization that's about 21 years old, and uh, our focus is on disciple-making within the church, but also within the vocations. We'll actually do a session tomorrow on that of how do you, how do you kind of in a backdoor way change the world by pouring into people who are leading in society? And so we'll talk about that more tomorrow. But today, what we want to start with is kind of a, it's what I like to call our secret sauce. Like, uh, like, for example, we had somebody one time that got some of our discipleship materials. They started diving in and we had warned them. We said, look, if you just try to do this, like a Henry Blackaby, Beth Moore Bible study, something, it's going to be a swing and a miss. And so we explained to him what we meant. Well, about three months later, they call and saying, we're not seeing transformation like we thought we would. And I said, how are you doing it? Well, because Bible studies have been so steeped, and don't hear me lowering the Bible, I'm just keeping the Bible, but I'm raising discipleship up with it, all right? Rooted in the Bible. But what's happened is, is the last uh, 100 plus years in our country, we have so majored on Bible studies that people have a knowledge of God, but they don't have not often encountered him. <clears throat> All right. And so that's what was happening with this church. So I, I said, hey, have you ever tried to play basketball with a football? Because I'd have like our football team. That I was helped. I used to be a football coach and our football team was it was getting rained out. So we were in Kentucky. And so they brought us into the gym as a high school team. And, you know, you're dinking around for 40 minutes. Right. And so there's a football and there's a gym. So I said, hey, let's play basketball. It's great for passing. Not so much for shooting to try to put that oblong ball into a round, so it's just a little bit hard. And it's even worse when you try to dribble it, all right? <laughs> it just doesn't work. And so I said to this guy, what you've been doing is you've been trying to play basketball with a football. This tool that you have, there's tons of scripture in it. So you're going to get the word, but the way that you're doing this of just trying to, okay, let's read this passage, let's discuss it together, let's close in prayer. And we're missing out on the application piece of it. All right. So let me illustrate this for you. So you know this in Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells them, you know, he who hears my words, parentheses, obedience, does it, is a wise man who builds his house on the what? On the rock. He who hears these words, same premise, they, they all heard it and doesn't do it, parentheses, disobedience, is a what kind of man? <coughs> foolish man that builds his house on the 
sand. So Cheryl and I have spent, um, we met and got married when we were missionaries with Youth of the Mission in Kona, Hawaii. Somebody has to minister there, right? <laughs> we volunteered. So, so we lived there for seven years. We have a great love for the Hawaiian people and we go back. Yes, we enjoy the palm trees and the ocean and all that, but it's the people we enjoy. But if I went to any of my Hawaiian friends, you know, and they speak a pidgin English, and I say, hey, brother, I'm going to build one house right here on the sand. They would look at me and go, what? Because they know when the tide comes in, it's pow. That's the Hawaiian word for finished. It's pow. P-A-U, it's done. You can't build house on a sand. And, and Jesus is, is teaching us that there's a difference between those who hear it and actually do it Versus those who hear it and do nothing. So now go back to the Great Commission, Matthew 28. Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says this, teaching them to obey. Like disciple making is about coming alongside people relationally and teaching them how to obey Jesus. That's what, that's what it is. And when you look at how Jesus did it, he hung out for three years with the same guys you know, he didn't go after a big church. He went after 12, and one of them betrayed him in the end. But one of the things we have to understand is, is this is about teaching people how to obey Jesus. And so that's, for me, something I, like I look for all the time because it can come up in various settings. We have a, um, a Grammy, you know, living here in Nashville. You walk with songside artists and a Grammy award-winning artist who one day called and said, hey, they asked me to be interviewed on this show do you think I should do it? And she was learning how to hear the voice of God. And I said, well, that's not really my call. Well, what do you mean? I, I'm calling for advice. I know, but don't you think now might be a good time to wait on the Lord? She said, like, now on the phone? I said, yeah, do you think that might bother God? I said, no, she laughed. <laughs> so we waited on the Lord. And it was my opportunity to teach her how to obey Jesus. See, we, we've gotten caught in a curriculum drive. Okay, and, and the, the, the content is important. So again, I'm not lowering the content. But what I am saying is, Jesus said, he who hears my word and does it is a wise man, a wise woman. And, and disciple making and transformation is about helping people to move towards obedience. Okay, so I just want you to think about that a minute. Because so often it's content delivery. And then let's just close in prayer. And we have a habit of this, particularly in our Bible studies, because the content is very rich. But, but you can even make a Bible study different if you just call time out 20 minutes before you close and say, okay, let's just shut our Bibles here for a minute and let's talk about what has the Lord really highlighted to you that you need to apply into your life. But see, because we don't have that habit, we've got a lot of people walking around with head knowledge of Jesus, but they haven't really encountered him. Amen? Yeah. Okay. So let me just show you a little something here. So... Mel's going to help me out here. So let me tell you a story. So there's a friend of mine who pastors here in town. His name is Carter. He's a dear man. He's one of my, you know, golf buddies that we go out and play and we talk, talk the kingdom as I try to beat him on the golf course. And uh, Carter asked me one day, it's our first time we ever met. And he, he said, hey, can I ask you a question? This is after about 10, 15 minutes of just getting to know each other, family. And then he got really intense and looked at me. He said, can I tell you why I invited you out to eat? I said, Sure. He said, the people in our church love the word, know the word. He said they, you know, they could give you highlights of Romans. They could, they could do all kinds of things and show you stuff. 
But then he said, then he kind of tipped his glasses and leaned across the table. But he said, but they're not being transformed. What am I not doing? He said, I know you're a disciple maker. So I'm coming to ask you that with that hat on. How does transformation happen? And I looked at him and I winked. And I said, you know, the devil knows the word really well. And he's not transformed either. <laughs> you ever thought about that? The devil knows the word pretty well. He's not transformed. It's not knowledge of the word. It's application, as Jesus said. And this is, this is going against the grain of where our culture has been. I was just talking to Luke up here, and we were comparing notes on how like, our grandparents and parents' generation had a good working knowledge of the word. And then over the last, how long would you say, Luke, last 10, 20 years? Yeah, there's, there's been this switch to kind of the emotional response, feel good kind of thing, and, and it's thinned out on knowledge of the word. So do we need knowledge of the word? Absolutely we do. But it's how we do it, right? It's how we do it, all right? And so with Carter, when he said, how, did, how does transformation actually happen? And I'll tell you how I got provoked to this. So there was a guy that was on our team for a number of the years by the name of Todd. Todd at the time was in his late 20s, former military uh, sergeant during the Iraq war. So he's one of those kind of take charge kind of guys. And we were in my office one day with the door closed and we had a whiteboard up there. It's now where Darren's office is. And Todd looks at me and he goes, so how does transformation happen? And so I just start, you know, kind of talking to him about it. And, and we're going on and on for a half an hour and he's getting really pushy. No, Dave, this is in you. How does transformation happen? And I'm starting to go like, okay, Mr. Pushy Pants, you know, and I'm, I'm starting to get a little irritated. And finally, I just said, well, Jesus reveals something to us. If we obey it, transformation comes. He goes, that's what I was looking for. And so with Carter, with my finger on the table, I drew three circles. And Mel, if I'm, yeah, there we go. I just drew three circles like this on the table. Because he said, how does transformation actually happen? And this is, this is really kind of a... You know, it's Jesus' secret. So this isn't Dave's idea, Lion's idea. This is, you're going to see this after we talk about it today, all through the Old Testament and the New. All right? But it, but it begins with this process where, there's, where, where the aim is transformation. We were having a conversation recently with a group of leaders about what does spiritual maturity look like? How do you measure spiritual maturity? And it was things like church attendance. The more you attend, the more mature you are. The more you know the Bible, the more mature you are. The more that you give financially, the more mature you are. The more that you're faithful to your small group, the more mature you are. You know, the more you use your spiritual gifts, the more mature you are. But when you look at the life of Jesus, it was these three things. The transformation of one's character. John, who was part of the Sons of Thunder, by the time Jesus goes to the cross, Mr. Son of Thunder was now Mr. Tender. And he says, hey, John, see your mom. Mom, see your son. There was a transformation of character that happened. The way we might say it today is people's character actually looks more like Jesus. Like imagine people encountering you and they walk away and they have tasted of something of the Son of God. See, it's discipling people's character so they look more like Jesus. We also see the transformation of one's relationships like Zacchaeus. When he goes to his home, they have their little encounter, and he goes back and pays everybody back way more than he even took. Because relationships are transformed. Like, like, it's not just the transformation of our mind with the Bible being in it. It's the word being in us in such a way that it transforms our hearts so the way we relate to people is actually different. Are you tracking with me? 
the way your character looks. Like even when you get squeezed, more of Jesus comes out. And when you, more of Jesus doesn't come out, there's a pretty quick, you know, I'm really sorry. I didn't represent the Lord nor myself very well. Please forgive me. There's that rather than just letting it sit there. So I want you to think about that in your own discipling of people. Is it more about what information we can stuff in, or is it actually the transformation of character? And let me just add this little caveat to it. So, you know, in Exodus, when Moses says to God, show me your glory, you would think in the world we live in today that that glory would be like signs and wonders and in the sky and in all kinds of... uh, uh, When God reveals his glory, what does he do? He shows his character. Like the greatest way we can show God's glory is through his character living through our lives. Something we have to think about. So do you know how to disciple people so their character looks more like Jesus? See, that's part of it. All right? And then there's this one here, you know, the transformation of the way one lives their life. The disciples learning to die to self. You know, imagine when Peter turned and looked at Jesus after the rooster crowed, and there's that one little portion where they made eye contact, and it says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. There was transformation that began to happen in his life that day. All right? And isn't it interesting, you know, we've all heard sermons about this, but just think of that in context when Jesus three times asks him, you know, Peter, do you love me? You know, and isn't it interesting after the third time, you know, it's not shame. It's basically, well, then go into the ministry and shepherd flocks, you know, and he, he calls him out to something. But see, Jesus was after Peter's character and building something in him. And so when we think disciple-making, don't just think of shoving the knowledge of the word down people's throats. It's actually walking alongside them, teaching them how to obey Jesus so they look more like him. All right? So if our aim is transformation, okay, and that's what my friend Carter was saying, how, do you, how does someone get transformed? How does that happen? All right, so okay, well, Carter, let's talk about transformation. First of all, If I could put a big G over this where the fireman's head is there, I'd put a G over it representing only God can transform. Have you noticed this? Like, don't you wish you had that power over your husband or wife or children? But we we just don't. Transformation is something only God can do. Something only God can do in someone's life. All right? But he's made things in such a way that like as we enter into the fall here in Tennessee, we're starting to see the transformation from the green leaves to the beautiful colors. We see that little tiny apple seed. You know, when you bite into your apple, that little thing has within it the DNA of transformation, not to just create another apple or a tree, but orchards. Okay. And so God is the transformer. He's the one that brings transformation about in somebody's life. Okay, well, how does it begin? So let's go to the first one. It begins with the word revelation. And and here's what I mean by that. The simple sense of once I did not see it, oh, now I see. It's kind of like when you're in junior high at a school play and, you know, everybody's walking in, talking, and somebody finally flicks the lights and it's the two-minute warning and you know to sit down. And and there's that big navy navy blue, black, or burgundy curtain up there, and you really don't know what's back there until they pull the curtain. And you see a Hawaiian island or a western town or you see a space shuttle. And, 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 it, and it's once I did not see. Now I see that's revelation. We focus more on information than we do tending revelation. Okay. 
And there's nothing wrong with information. But when I'm talking with somebody about their walk with the Lord, what I'm asking them is, what is the Lord? And I will actually ask it this. So what has the Lord been revealing to you? What's he been showing you? And so when they say, well, the Lord's been showing me this. Like there's a young man by the name of Jackson. Right now he's at the Naval Academy playing football. He was our all-state quarterback here. He's in his second year at Navy. And Jackson and I talk on the phone, and I'm speaking in D.C. this weekend, and he's going to come and see me. They have a game on Saturday night home, so he's going to come and join me on Sunday. And Jackson will get into various questions with me. And, you know, he's one of those young men that's really hungry to know God. He said, Dave, tell me more about humility. Tell me more about the fear of the Lord. I'm going, I need more of you guys kind of kids around here, you know. But, but then we can get into the nitty-gritty of it, and I can say, so Jackson, what is the Lord revealing to you about that? Well, he's showing me that I need to be quicker to respond to somebody when I have been wrong. So what do you think that looks like? Well, I would think what it looks like is I should just look at them and say, hey, I was wrong, please forgive me. I said, exactly. I can reinforce what God's revealed, teaching him to obey what God has commanded him. Are you tracking with me? See, that, that's the deal. And so there's the revelation piece where God is revealing something. So like when we're leading, so we have a tool called Discipleship Journey, and the whole thing is based around this premise. And so as someone is going through it, the, they, they watch a little 8 to 10 minute video, and then for about uh, an hour or so, they're in the Word with this tool, but they're, they're in the Word, and then they get together as a group for an hour, and there's only two questions asked. What did the Holy Spirit reveal to you? And after they talk about that, then it comes back around a second time. How are you going to obey that in your life? It's that simple. There's not arguments about the, you know, the content. There's not Bible arm wrestling. You know, there's just simply, what did the Lord show you? And so one time uh, I was leading an artist group here in Nashville through this, and there was about six or seven of them. And it was interesting because they all go through the same content, but you know, the application is always different from everybody else. See, that's, and, and as a disciple maker, you want to pay attention to that because that's what God, you want to know, not did they get all of that. You want to know what through that content is God revealing to them. And that's where you pounce lovingly to say, how can I help you obey that? Because that's how transformation comes. So it's revelation, transformation, God does that. But our part in the middle is obedience. It's obeying what God shows us to do. And so think about it. In the Great Commission, Jesus saying, teaching them to obey. Okay, and, and again, let me just clarify this because I know we come from all different church backgrounds. When I was growing up, at, there was a time that I thought um, obedience to Jesus was more kind of like, doggone it, if you're my follower, obey me. Prove it. Until I realized when Jesus said, and you have to look at me as I say this, when Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me. Obedience is an overflow of love. It's not a got to. It's not a performance qualifier. It's because you love Jesus, it's a ridiculous thought to think of disobeying you. But see, we have not created cultures of obeying Jesus within our churches. That is not the norm. Like if you think of your culture, my friend Jack Minton, who offices with us, he leads a ministry called Hope Force that does disaster relief stuff. And Jack says to me, you know what a culture is, Dave, what? And I said, well, what is it? He said, it's what me, most of the people do most of the time. Isn't that a good way to say culture? What most of the people do most of the time. So in your church, in your ministry, in your organization, think about that. What do people do most of the time? 
is the conversation. Hey, what did the Lord show you? How are you obeying? Come on, man, I'll help you. I'll go with you. Or is it more just knowledge? Or yeah, I'm going to go serve in the Sunday school. I don't really want to do it, but my wife told me it was my turn, you know. But see, the, the whole dynamic of transformation is rooted in this process. God revealed to Abraham, I'm asking you to leave your land and your father and go to another place. He leaves and transformation comes. He becomes the father of, the na- of nations. Joshua, I want you to walk around the walls of Jericho. But could could you imagine, that just sounds ridiculous. They're going to throw rocks. They're going to say, what are those idiots doing down there? But he he had this revealing of God showing him, I want you to walk around the walls. He obeys, transformation comes. You guys, you will see this all throughout scripture now. Paul, you know, well, we we wanted to go here, but the spirit of God didn't let us. And he wanted to go here and Jesus said no. And finally, the man of Macedonia has a dream and come help us and you know, there's revel. Okay, that's where we're supposed to go. <coughs> so there's this process. And I want you to catch this because if you don't throw this into your disciple making, you're going to get head knowledge. Are you following me? Any questions you guys have at this point? So I'm like, I asked the guy who said he's discipling, how's it going? And he said, he's a really good teacher. Yeah. And I hate hearing Yeah. Yeah. Because then that's not duplicatable. No. And they won't think they can do it. <clears throat> that's right. But see, so if I don't you teach, that's right. Well, and it's it's learning this process, because when someone learns this process, <clears throat> like the people I've discipled, this is now the process they use. Why? Well, in our journey, it's about a year's worth. It's about a, th- a year's worth of them being discipled. So after, after you go through this every week for a span of a year, guess what? It's now part of you. And so it takes time. But there is a digging out we have to do because of all the habits of Bible study. And again, not lowering the Bible or its study at all, but just saying, look, this is how God brings transformation. Okay? So I just want you to be able to catch this thing because it will help you in your disciple making. You'll be more intentional about it instead of you paying attention to, okay, did they get all that? Did they memorize the verse? Which is all good. What you're focused on as the disciple maker is from what they shared. So when I ask them, what is the Holy Spirit revealed to you? I'm dialed in because I know this is a holy thing. Like, they, like out of their mouth is coming what the Spirit of God is doing in them, even if it's something different than I would have wanted. Right? And then when I ask them, How are you going to obey this in their life? And sometimes we can wrestle that through. But you want it to come to an actionable point where, you know, if there's a bad relationship with dad and the spirit of God has been mm, nudging you like this over the years, do you ignore that thing? Or do you at some point say, okay, I see it. I'm going to see him at Christmas time. So let's say you're at this time of the year. So I've got two and a half months here that I can begin to pray, ask the Lord how he wants me to approach him and all that. But see, what you're doing, you're on the journey of obedience right then and there. Okay? And so that's a big piece of the process is just it's walking alongside and helping people obey what Jesus has revealed to them from the word and by his spirit. 
Hey, I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org slash collective and sign up for your free membership today. I'm going to ask Grant just to come on up and join me. So, so this is Grant Edwards. Grant and I met back in 2010, and um, he's one of those guys that has been very faithful over many years in discipling people. And one of the, he's the first guy that kind of taught me language on something. And um, so a lot of what we tend to do with Lionshare, we'd be calling formational discipling, where you're forming people into the image of Jesus, helping them walk in his ways. And Grant said to me, you know, there's a difference between formational and foundational. And I didn't know that, like in that language. So I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, foundational is, let's just say Joey just gave his life to the Lord yesterday. How do you make sure you you ground Joey over those first few months of their journey so the enemy doesn't come in to steal, kill, and destroy? This guy has done that well. So, hey, just before we jump into some of this, why don't you just tell them, give them the one or two minute skinny of you and what you do, and then we'll, we'll carry on our conversation. I got into discipleship basically because I had to. Um, it, I have a unique situation and story in the sense that uh, I became a Christian and a pastor in the same week. Uh, the Lord, New Year's Eve 1971, 1972, uh, set me free from, from drugs just instantaneously. And I was in Daytona Beach, Florida, and I was from Springfield, Ohio. And I instantly went back, instantly went back to Springfield, Ohio, to talk to my friends about about what had happened to me. And I invited 16 of my friends uh, to my parents' house, and I shared the gospel with them. And all 16 of them accepted the Lord. <laughs> wow! Now, within three months, I led 100 people to the Lord, and within three years, I led 500 people to the Lord. Now, you have to understand, I had no Bible college. I had um, no denomination. It was just me with a bunch of long-haired hippies that were known as Jesus freaks at the time. And to be quite honest with you, this might be amazing to you, us Jesus freaks with our long hair and our tie-dyed, we went to a Baptist church and we weren't welcome. Yeah, you know, in fact, they ask us not to come back. Yeah, and That's so pleasant. I was basically in a situation where all these people are coming to know Jesus. I mean, fifty percent of the people that I shared my tes- testimony with came to know Jesus, and then what began to happen is they began to walk away from faithfulness. 
And I began to realize that the church is very good at reaching the lost, but not so good at keeping the saved. Mm. And this is all by just observation, but I began to notice that um, the people that came to know Jesus walked away from faithfulness basically within three months. And later we've been able to study this. It's about, and I think I just thought it was me. I didn't know what to do. But this is the kind of like the embarrassment of the church is this happens all over the world. It's happening in your church. 80% of those people come to know Jesus, walk away from faithfulness within the first three months. And so I was watching this and I'm thinking, okay, I then began to observe that if they made it three months, the chances of them reaching maturity went up exponentially. And there's a lot of science behind three months to have it. There's a lot of science about that. So then I began thinking, okay, three months. Discipleship really is important to focus on the three months because if you miss them in the first three months, you've lost 80% of them. And so I began to think, well, that first three months is what I call foundational discipleship. And everything that happens after that is formational discipleship. Foundational discipleship, you have to be, you really have to understand this, and this came from observation. Every Christian has the same foundation. So I debate with people who say, uh, just pick a plan of discipleship as long as it's good. That's okay for formationally because it's true. But every Christian has the same foundation, and every Christian has a different formation. It's kind of like you look at the White House, you look at Biltmore. They have the same foundation underground, but absolutely different above ground. And so the foundation is what I began to realize I need to focus on in the first three months with these new believers. And what I found out is just simply there's four foundational disciplines of the Christian faith. They don't earn you anything, but in Richard Foster's term, they open the doors of grace into your life and allow you to have a relationship with Jesus because that's where you're going. You need to understand the discipleship in the first three months. It's so important that they learn to talk to Jesus. Uh, and, and there's a lot of similarities between new believers and also uh, brand new babies. Uh, you know, infants, natural born infants, they, they learn their language patterns within the first three months. And a lot of Christians, they never learn how to listen to Jesus because in the first three months they were taught the doctrine of their church not to listen to Jesus. And so what you have to do is realize that there's four foundational disciplines of the Christian faith. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it say there's four foundational disciplines of the Christian faith, but you'd really be hard put to uh, argue that if you don't pray, read your Bible, attend fellowship, understand your spiritual gifts, and are involved with evangelism slash discipleship, that you're going to do well as a Christian. Mm -hmm. And so those four foundational disciplines, and I learned that just by observation, is that those who were reading their Bible and Jesus was speaking to them through the Bible, they were praying and learning to listen to Jesus talk to them. They began to identify their calling. And then the other thing that happened too, because this is the lost art, uh, the four disciplines is discipleship. You can't separate discipleship from, from evangelism. In my situation, there are so many people come to know Jesus that I would disciple somebody with a lesson in the morning and they would have to do it in the, in the afternoon. And so we had new believers that were discipling as soon as they became Christians. <laughs> we had new believers that were discipling as soon as sharing the gospel as soon as they became a Christian. 
It was just, that's what we had to do. And the amazing thing was, is that a new believer, if he has the right material and you understand how to do it, can do an amazing job. You all know a new believer are probably the best evangelists. Mm -hmm. They can do an amazing job discipling, too, if you understand, okay, how do you train a new believer? Well, you're basically, if you don't think they can do it, you're thinking formational, not foundational. And so there's four foundational disciplines of the Christian faith, but there are also four similar temptations. And this is very important for you to understand because there are four basic temptations, again, by observation that I watched that new believers went over, went, had again and again and again. And I knew this because they were, that's all I was dealing with. For the first two or three years of my Christian existence, that's all I dealt with was new believers. And so I was able to listen to their conversations and actually be involved. I was like immersed with new believers. And I noticed that there were basically four similar temptations. One is doubt and discouragement. That a new believer will sooner or later go through a moment of doubt where they just want to get up and quit. And if you have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with them during that moment, if you've talked to them and say, you're going to have, this is going to happen to you, and I want you to call me at that time, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit will use mm -hmm. them, use you to help them understand why they're going through doubt and discouragement, help them overcome. Another similar temptation is the ability to say no to the things that you should say no to, and yes to the things that you should say yes to. Uh, that temptation... By the way, doubt and discouragement. How many of you still go through doubt and discouragement? It's a lifelong temptation. Uh, saying yes and no to the appropriate things. How many of you are still doing with that? It's a, li it's a li lifelong situation. But the reason why so many Christians fail, and we constantly see leaders fail, is because they haven't had, they don't have the right foundation, as you mentioned earlier, if it's on the rock. If they understand that holiness is loving Jesus more than they love the sin, it's easy to say no to the sin. How does that come about? Well, you just can't tell a person love sin. They have to see it in your life in a one-on-one -on -one example. The next uh, huge, huge is uh, temptation or similar temptation, or you might say growth area, is Matthew 6.33, the learning to seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, Christians basically make a decision very early in their life whether they're going to be a big problem person or a big kingdom person. And many of you know big problem Christians. So all they do is talk about their problems. A big kingdom person, though, could have the same amount of problems, in fact, even more problems than the big problem person, and they don't bother them at all because their kingdom is so huge that their problems barely even register. And so Christians have to have this perspective, which most Christians don't, that I could have joy in the midst of trials and tribulation. And it is true when James Wright considered all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter various trials. The final temptation is that uh, you're going to have a calling in your life, and you're now going to have to make decisions based upon that calling in order to walk in the fullness of what God intends for you to do. It's a narrow path. It's called God's will. And there will become all kinds of temptations to get you off that narrow path. So at the very beginning, foundational discipleship, if somebody learns to have those four foundational disciplines through which the grace of God comes to allow them to have a relationship with him, and then they get not necessarily total victory, but they get at least the rock foundation, the seeds planted, and how to overcome the temptations that they're going to deal with the rest of their life, that's foundational discipline. It's the same for every believer here. And it's, you know, I Dave, I mean... I walk up to Christians a lot, and I say, um, when's the last scripture that you've memorized? It's amazing how people, you know, the, the word of the Lord, receive it and plant it. How many people don't memorize scripture? Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I walk up to people and I say, can you list five prayer requests that you've had recently, specific prayer requests? Uh, have you discipled anybody? Have you ever won anybody to the Lord? You know, do you know what your gifts and your calling are? This is basic stuff. This is basic stuff. And this is what we should be modeling. And it all starts at the very beginning. You have to have the right conception of what foundational discipleship is. Now, when you get into um, things like church doctrine or you get into things uh, like your culture, different types of church, uh, a doctor, a lawyer, formational things, those are all different for everybody. But the foundation is the same. So go back to you know that space of life where you know, all kinds of people are coming to know the Lord. How did you, like, how did you practically learn or observe transformation happening in people? Was that kind of because you started walking alongside of them and, and it's that thing teaching them how to obey? Like, what, what does that look, what did that look like for you back then? Well, um, it was twofold. Um, one, um, I was raised in a denomination that did not believe in St. Dean's costly, did not believe in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And then God sent me free from drugs. Mm. I was so far outside of my, my comfort zone. I mean, literally, I, I was to the point from doing so much LSD that I was suicidal. And uh, I asked God if he would set me free. I'd serve him the rest of my life. That was 49 years ago. I'd never done drugs since. And that was the testimony I would tell people. Mm. And in my community, mm. uh, I was the first person to, to sell drugs in my community. So when I tell people that God has sent me free, they stopped in this kind of shocked moment. And I knew I had an opportunity before they'd regather their wits to share with them Jesus. And about half of them would come to know the Lord as their Savior. So the first thing, transformation in people, was that um, this, you had to be aware that, that God really does love you. And he wants to do something big in your life mm. for all of us, mm -hmm. whether it's drugs or whether it's a restored relationship. And uh, that's the approach I take when I'm discipling somebody. You know, God's going to do something in your life that's exceedingly abundantly beyond all that you ask or think. Because transformation happens not because they've been discipled. Transformation happens because they have a relationship with Jesus. Yeah. And when you have a relationship with Jesus, you're changed. Yeah. When I first... Uh, met my wife, I was changed instantly. You know, I just saw her and I just knew, and there is an instant transformation. Discipleship oftentimes is not about knowing and having a relationship with Jesus. It's more about uh, what our culture is or what our church wants you to be or how to serve or denominational peculiarities. And so, the idea behind foundational discipleship is that there's no transformation outside of Jesus anyways. Yeah. I mean, it's what you're saying yeah. here. Yeah. He speaks, you obey, he yeah. changes. Yeah. And that's kind of what happens from the very beginning. So, so just think about, you know, what, we, what we're sharing here. Put that, like, kind of drop that into your context just to kind of make it real and practical for where you live. Like, is, is that emphasis of... Again, paying attention to what God is really speaking to that person. Again, whether it's from something in the Word or they're saying, hey, you know, as I pray, I keep having a heart for the poor. You know, I mean, whatever it is, whether it's something the Holy Spirit's doing in them, whether it's something God's revealing in the Word. And, and when was the last time you just came alongside that? In other words, you made that the priority. You made that the priority because here's the thing. It's what God's doing in them. 
And if and you want to pay attention, you know, it's the old Blackaby line, look where God's working and join him in it. It's it's another way of kind of framing that, right? It's it's looking at what God's doing in that person and joining God in what he's doing. That's where it's the co-missioning and making disciples. It's the Holy Spirit that is doing the work. We get to be guides, handholders, pointers, you know, but but Jesus is the one that is transforming. So as you're sitting here hearing this. And thinking about, you know, your own context, where are you in that? How much of that would you say is actually a part of the culture of your thing that you lead, whether it's a church, an organization, you know, whatever, that the norm is, hey, what is God saying? How are we going to obey this? And it's a game changer. It is. You know, uh, some statistics, I think they're fun. Um, I have a good friend who just got his uh, PhD thesis in discipleship analytics from Regent University. So uh, he's also in his spare time a cyber security uh, agent for the government. And so I always <laughs> tease him that if I disagree with him, that my hard drive is going to be erased the next month. So, you know, you can debate with him, but uh, his point of it is, is when you really look at statistics, um, let's say that you have a church and you have uh, you all preach the best sermon that's ever been preached. The second most powerful sermon in the history of Christendom. The first would be the Sermon on the Mount, and the second would be your sermon next Sunday. Okay, and 100 people come to know Jesus. Okay, statistics show that within three months, 80 of them are going to walk away from faithfulness. And that of the 20% less, left, of the 20% left, in five years, only 20% of them are growing spiritually. Hmm. So the best sermon ever, 100 people, three to five years later, four. That's our statistics. Yeah. That's our statistics. Now, I think that I'm preaching to the choir. All of you recognize that. That's why we're here. Mm -hmm. But I really do think that it's very important to realize that discipleship is the solution, and that's kind of the tonal quality of discipleship.org. That's what yeah. we all agree about. And all the people that are here have different ways of, um, of putting discipleship together. My thing is just the first three months. I mean, I just, you know, Dave, you have formation, you have mentoring, you have coaching, you have uh, working with different types of people. You know, God's just given me one little assignment three months. That's all I have to focus on. But my point of it is, if you don't get them mm -hmm. solid in the first three months, they're all gone. The trajectory. You know, the, yeah. they're all gone. And so a little bit of what I've learned and, you know, keep asking me questions here is that, you know, that's been 49 years ago when I figured out the, uh, the foundational discipleship. And um, in our church, uh, we just have multiplications, multiplications, multiplications. I think, Sharon, when were you first discipled? So we have stories like this, you know, just people all over the world that have, that have just kind of do discipling and stuff. But um, one of the things that we have been learning recently, we've been focusing on, is that sometimes if you get people like, I have a book on discipleship, and I could talk about that, and it's the 10 lessons. But um, that has to come within the context of a culture of encouragement where there's good leadership. And then it also has to, and one of the things I've been finding out is that um, there's an issue of supply and demand with discipleship that kills discipleship in most local churches because you can go in and do a great um, conference on one-on-one -on -one discipleship, foundational discipleship, and so you get 100 people ready to go. I'm going to go disciple somebody, 
and then there's nobody to disciple, so I get discouraged. Um, somebody was just talking to me, uh, I think it was in Belarus, I was talking to a person, and they said they had 100 people come to know Jesus last weekend, and then nobody to disciple them. So mm. then that's the other, it's a mm. law of supply and demand. You either have people want to be discipled, nobody to disciple them, or if people want to disciple, nobody to disciple. Yeah. And so what happens is eventually is what we call third-generation disciplers. Uh, what hap- You will flip this in your church if you get third-generation disciplers. A third-generation disciple is somebody who's been discipled and somebody who's had two successful discipling relationships. They will now begin finding people to disciple. You don't have to assign them. You don't have to make a program. You'll get 100 people in your church that are finding people to win to the Lord and disciple in themselves. Now, that's when, you, that's when it all comes together. Yeah. And that's when it gets exponential. Yeah. So think about that. So you might be sitting here today and going, we ain't even at one yet. That's okay. Mm-hmm. You can leave this place saying we're going to begin. That we're going to begin. And, and you know. Uh, Grant's given numbers here too, and for me, you know, this is year forty-five for me of making disciples, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, so between us, it's near a hundred, near a hundred years, and um, and and you know, we're st- we still learn, we still grow. You know, there's places to flex our muscles in different ways and learn, but it's like one of the things that we have to realize is disciple making and why it doesn't always float to the boat of American churches and pastors is because you have to view it in the long view. You really do. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. It's not a short-term, hey, let's fix our church in six mm-hmm. months. It's because it's going to take a little time for this person to pass on to this one mm-hmm. who then kind of gets the excitement to go do another one. And then, as Grant's saying, you get them doing another one. Then that third generation, we'll often say in, in our lion's share world, we call it four generations deep. Paul to Timothy to faithful ones to others. So whether you call it three or four generations, the purpose is, the, the point is you get beyond the first one. You've been discipled, now you've passed on the other. Then all of a sudden you see firsthand the fruit of it. Yeah. And if, you're going, if you are going to uh, release uh, new believers or even believers in your church and discipleship, um, the reason why we've come up with 10 lessons is one of the pushbacks would be, I don't know how to do it. Okay, mm-hmm. so here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. And we've designed this process called a conversation discipleship where you read, I read, you read. It seems kind of contrived, but conversation is where the Holy Spirit begins working between people. So yeah. if you just have material where somebody's listening, yeah. then it's not going to work. Yeah. But the, what we also realize is that um, person will have a pushback of why... I don't know how or I don't have enough time. So we encourage people to learn to disciple one person per year for the rest of their life. So that reduces it down to something that they can participate in. And then you ask, well, what happens after the three months? And my experience has been in this intensive foundational discipleship, if it goes too much longer than three months, you get into coaching, you get into counseling, which is way beyond what you want to have happen in codependency issues. So a church will also, to have great discipline, have to have things like small groups. Because one-on-one is far better uh, for learning initial foundational discipleship than small groups. But they need to go someplace afterwards. And so part of the discipling one-on-one environment is getting them into small groups. Yeah. So that's where they go next. And you change the terminology. The first three months is disciple, discipler, and then it becomes coworker. Mm-hmm. It has to become that type of thing where you're working at this together. Yeah, that's really good. Hey, we've got about 10 minutes. 
questions, like <clears throat> what are things, whether it's something I've shared, something Grant has shared, what, what kind of questions are percolating in your heart and mind that might be helpful just to have some dialogue on? So just wave at us and... Well, yes. ask a question. <clears throat> kind of what you said about discipling people, and it sounds, I guess what I'm hearing, <clears throat> investing in a person for a year and then you just establish with them, you know what, now we're just more, let's call it co-workers. Is that... Well, I'm, I'm less than that. Let me, let me just do, yeah, that's what I was going to do. Let me just repeat the question. So, the, the, no, no, you're good. It's my job to repeat the question back so that, that it's recorded. So the question being asked is, so if you start discipling someone and you do a span of time, whatever that may be, then it shifts into gears of being coworkers. Is that correct? Yes. Um, three months is best. Coworkers doesn't mean you don't help them. My disciples, not people that I've discipled, not only do I um, encourage them to get in a small group, but then I kind of mentor them as they disciple somebody else. So I'm working with them. I'm still involved with them. But I don't want them looking at me as some type of father figure uh, or a person of position or authority in their life. I, I want them to realize going in, your spirituality and your growth is going to have to do with you discipling somebody else, not just coming and listening to me speak for, for a bunch of lessons. Now, formational discipleship is different. If you're going to become a medical doctor, you're going to have to have a, a year-long class and stuff like that, anatomy and physiology. But in discipleship, I want them, that's why I have wear this pin, you can do this. I, I want them to realize that my end goal is for them to disciple somebody because I think you found this out too, that the person that you've discipled, it kind of goes on steroids when they start discipling somebody else. Yeah, so I want to release them yeah. into that as soon as possible. Yeah, and one of the things, can I encourage you, don't think anymore about making disciples. Mm -hmm. You're making disciple makers. Disciples, yeah. Yeah. So so just kind of flush that term because that's where really when you look at the life of Jesus, he didn't make disciples. He made disciple makers or reproducers, multipliers. And if and and like I've had pastor friends of mine say, like they've uh, actually a friend up in the Hudson, Ohio area, a dear friend, he said, Dave, I've discipled tons of people over the years. But he said, I'm realizing now at like 58 that I didn't help them become disciple makers. So I stunted the whole process. Yeah, you've got to you've got to take that. Um, the idea behind disciples and third generation came to me. A good friend of mine uh, did a study at Hawksworth Blood Center in Cincinnati, and he would have people come in, and they would give blood, and then he would have people come in. There was something that went on with them, and they became somebody from just donating blood to a blood donor, and then they wanted the the gallon sticker and the two gallon sticker, <laughs> and the three gallon sticker. And he said, "We studied that, but we found out." Two things. One, the third time they came in, if we got them to the third time, the chances of them becoming a blood donor went up exponentially. The other thing he said, awesome. if we went and sat down with them after their first donation and talked to them, whether they had a bad experience or good experience, and helped them see the broader perspective, those people would have a higher chance of coming back too. I'm sitting there thinking, well, that's discipleship. 
connect a one-on-one relationship with somebody because invariably if somebody accepts Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the first thing they're going to do when they get up the next morning is have, what in the world did I do? Yeah. You know, what are my friends going to think? Well, what happens if there's somebody there to sit down with them and review it almost instantly? Big deal. Another question? Anybody else? I don't, uh, I don't have a position in our church. I'm a participant and disciple people. The... The holes I see right now are no one disciples the new believers, the ones that get baptized in our church. Again, he has the second best sermon of his life. hundred people get baptized, but I don't see them being baptized, and I don't know how I can be not in a position in the church to be able to push that up to the church to see that those people are disciples. I can't disciple hundred people. Mm-hmm. I've made a mistake already. I'm discipling four, and I'm discipling four at a time in four different places at four different times. It's yeah, you're gonna. Out. Yeah, it's gonna burn you out. You you have to. I think that you have to look at your church. Uh, Jesus doesn't say, uh, you know, pray for revival. He says, pray for workers in the harvest. Yeah. And I think that you need to. Uh, if you have a hundred disciples, that's kind of your quota of what you can really. Uh, be a good steward of. Uh, in your situation, um, maybe Dave can speak to this. I hear this all the time that people like you that are business businessmen and significant people in a congregation see the importance of discipleship and the church leadership doesn't. Yeah. And um, we've been talking, some of us, about what we call a lamppost strategy uh, where we're going to try to put together enclaves of light in, in areas where people can come and get the culture and encouragement that they need and go back into their church as emissaries of discipleship. Because I, I and I, you know, I was a senior pastor for 49 years, okay? I, it was a fairly large church, um, and I, I recognize how difficult it is, and I have a lot of sympathy for that. But I also know that um, in most churches, uh, the senior pastors have never been discipled, and they've never discipled anybody. And it's really what's going on in America today is the failure of discipleship. Yeah. So we're coming here and giving you a loaded gun of discipleship, and you're going back to your church, and you're wondering what am I going to do with it? <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah, you know, let me, let me chime in on, on this, too, and just say this. It's like it used to really frustrate me because you, I used to think, well, surely pastors know better. Hmm. And I remember one day the Lord just whispering to me and saying, People only do what they've been discipled to do. Yeah, have know. compassion and pour in to them. Mm-hmm. And so you, we have to remember that if they've never been discipled, it's not on the radar. It's just like like most seminaries do not have a disciple making one hundred and one course. It's just not there. So it's one of the things that we just have to understand is that you know pastors are in a deficit in our country. But it's the time. Like one thing you can do is pray. Mm-hmm. Pray. And ask God to show them, you know, uh, and and then look for ways. Again, like like we've walked with churches where we've started pouring into the the ones that were open. Sometimes it's youth, sometimes it's men, sometimes women. And as God starts sparking things there, like at a church in Pittsburgh, where they started seeing the men, it's where George was, where all of a sudden started sparking things. And the senior pastor actually then did a, a series years later on disciple making. He caught it and he saw something. Now, the follow-through has been a little mixed at times, but, but we have to realize that start with wherever God's working 
and then trust him to do the rest. So, mm-hmm. hey, just before you go, Grant, did you bring a copy at all of your I first did. steps or anything? Okay, why don't you grab that? So, um, yeah, hey, put that back up there. This is one of my favorite quotes. Have you seen this before, Dallas? Where discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. Isn't that awesome? Show them what you have, and we'll do the uh, same. We, we have a, a booth uh, display area, so you can stop by. This is the book. It's called uh, First Steps Conversations. is for new and renewed believers. Uh, many believers haven't been discipled, so they probably should just go back and figure out what it's all about. Yeah. And then uh, the encouragement with everybody we disciple is simply this. You can do this because the goal of this is that you'll start discipling. Uh, this was co-written by the senior um, editor of group publishing with myself. It's conversations is very important to understand that uh, that's the culture of discipleship is not uh, reading something to somebody or just speaking from an outline, but it's actually geared towards a conversation. This book is, it's a conversational script. It seems a little stilted reading by itself, but it's actually meant I read a paragraph, you read a paragraph, and you go back and forth. Uh, Again, that seems a little contrived, but once you get alive in it, what begins to happen is through the conversation, the spirit begins to work, issues come up, and then the disciple and the discipler begin to have that relationship that's transformational. So you guys just know in all your workshops, you'll often have people just do this. It's meant to be just a FYI, so you know. So it's one of the best places to come to get disciple-making resources is here because you've got people who are passionate about it, really invested time into it. So I'd encourage you to stop by and, and see that and pick that up. So for Lionshare, a couple of things. So the discipleship tool that we use is called a discipleship journey. One of the things that um, it's a 48-week walk. Um, and the way that I usually like with our men, I'll have to say, I need 184th of your time. And they'll look at me and go, what do you mean? I said, well, before I tell you, like, how much do you sleep? Uh, third, how much do you work? Ah, fifth, third, I just need 184th. Okay, that's way better than saying two hours, right? <laughs> and, and what it is is an hour on their own each week where they're in the word in this on their own and then an hour where they're in their group where they're looking to apply it, okay? And so it deals with topics like how do I hear God's voice? Uh, how do I walk in godly relationships? What the heck is spiritual warfare, you know, there's those kinds of topics in here, all right? And this is brand new for us. We just released this about six weeks ago. It's Discipleship Journey for Kids. So parents can do this together. It can be used for Sunday school, but it, it has uh, animation with it with two characters, Adi and Jay, who they watch. It's about two, three-minute videos. Laurie, wave over. This is Laurie Jarvis. She's our ADJ Kids coach. So whether as a family or a church, if you're looking for something to say, hey, how do I pour the things of God into kids. You're going to hear in our next session here in a few minutes, you know, this whole area of the desperate need to begin to pour into our children uh, sooner than later. All right. And then just quick, as we close, these are just gifts for you guys. If any of you still have DVD players, remember what those used to be? All right. If any of you have those, these are series that we did um, with, if you know these names, Henry Blackaby, uh, Jack Hayford, John Perkins, Winky Prattney, Lloyd Ogilvy, and YWAM's Lauren Cunningham, where, where we had a conversation with them in a room that was awesome. And so these are uh, a gift to you if you would like them. So you just need to have a DVD player to be able to play them. But come swing by here and Darren will, Darren will get these to you. And if there's any other questions you guys have from today, so Lionshare team, who's in here from our Lionshare team? There's several of us. You know, feel free to, feel free to nab us. Grant, thank you. Thank you, guys. I trust that'll be uh, some encouragement towards transformation. So.
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the episode and I hope that it gave you some new information and new inspiration on how you're making disciples where you are. Hey, up next, we've got another episode from Lion Share, another track session from this year's forum. So I hope that you will click the subscribe button so that you know exactly when I release that. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for listening and enjoy the rest of your day. See ya. I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. I wanted to take just a second to tell you about the Discipleship.org Collective. It's an online community designed for disciples and disciple makers. And if you're a follower of Jesus, then you fit in one or both of those categories. And we made this website with your needs in mind. The website itself is super cool because it's like stepping into a virtual church building. There's a welcome center, an auditorium for main events, and even some classrooms. Right now, you can get free access to this collective where we provide weekly webinars, we've got ebooks, and even disciple making assessments for you and also your whole church. And don't mistake this for just a website, it's actually a community for disciple makers. Basic membership is free, but there's also a premium access option that includes courses, certifications, and online gatherings with other leaders from around the world. So go to discipleship.org collective and sign up for your free membership today.